Well, we want to uh, look tonight in God's Word at uh, chapter 13 of Matthew, verse 19. You remember back at the first of this chapter, Jesus mentioned this parable, told this parable about the uh, sower of the seed and the kinds of uh, soil that uh, would receive the seed. Uh, there is a, a real instruction tonight in what that parable means. Uh, you know, at first, Jesus would tell a parable, and a lot of the folks there wouldn't understand it. Those that were really interested and those that were his disciples would come over to the side, and he would explain it to them. Uh, so what we're going to do tonight is get the explanation of that uh, presentation earlier in the chapter. Jesus was preparing the apostles and really is preparing us so that when we go out to uh, share the gospel with somebody, uh, there are four basic kinds of hearers that uh, we will encounter. There's the unresponsive, there's the superficial, there's the worldly, and there is the receptive. So tonight, uh, we're going to look at these first three. Look at verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that which has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. Now, as you know, as we talked about last week, the uh, soil was really packed down because these uh, paths through the middle of the big fields were also the roads of that day and people would walk down them and so the soil was very, very packed. Um, there are uh, four different kinds of soil and reception uh, of the seed and tonight we're going to look uh, at these. Uh, the first is this uh, soil that's packed. This is corresponding to verse 4 that Jesus presented earlier in the chapter. He hears the word of the kingdom, but he doesn't understand it. Now this is what Jesus is telling the disciples and those that are really, really interested. There's somebody trying to get in the back door. We've got to do this differently somehow. Um, the reason he doesn't understand is not due uh, to the deficiency of the message. The Bible is very clear. The Bible is uh, very powerful. The Bible can be understood and appropriated uh, into our heart. Uh, the deficiency is not in the message, but in the hard-heartedness of the hearer. The hearer uh, really does not want to hear he is the person that's referred to in the Old Testament as being stiff-necked. He is unconcerned about the things of God. Doesn't want to know about that. Completely indifferent to anything that is spiritual. The world make no penetration into his mind or into his heart. The word stops. Uh, the word remains a part of the world and not of his heart. You remember when Billy Graham was doing all those crusades on television and you'd be out somewhere and you would want to watch it and there would be other people in the 
a house or other people in the building or other people somewhere close by, and they couldn't care less about it. You know, you would want to get right up there and hear every word, and people were walking by and making noise and, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, that's what we have here. Uh, this person has continually and consistently resisted anything that smacks of spirituality. This fellow doesn't want anything to do with that. And the soil of his heart has become pounded down until it is impervious. It cannot be broken. It's hard, literally, as a rock. Because it makes no penetration, the seed of God's word is fully exposed. You remember last time we talked about this, we talked about the birds coming down and, and picking up the seeds and flying off and eating them. Well, uh, tonight Jesus uh, explains this a little bit more. He says the word is fully exposed to the enemy of the soul. Who is that? That's Satan, of course. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the person's heart. Now, when it says in the person's heart, it's really kind of laying on the top of the person's heart. It's not in their heart. Uh, his heart has never been softened by remorse. You know, sometimes if you're going to hear something, you have to have some experience to hear the particular kind of thing that you're listening to. Sometimes uh, you cannot hear because the sin of your life has not been broken. Uh, it has not been broken up so that your word, the word of the Lord, can go down into the heart of that individual. Uh, there's no conviction of sin. It's never cultivated by the smallest desire for anything good, anything pure, anything holy. You know, if you go out into society and you set up a little uh, pulpit and you put out some chairs and you get some people to sit down and you start talking about uh, the depth and the meaning of God's word, uh, people just kind of get up and walk off because they don't really know, they don't understand uh, what you're talking about. And that's what we had in the first presentation of this but now Jesus is, is letting his disciples know exactly what it is. There has to be some purity, some holiness, some goodness for the seed to go into the heart, into the soul. Uh, the person is the fool who hates wisdom and hates instruction, Proverbs 1.7, and who also says that there is no God, Psalms 14. One, You know, if you're in that condition, you don't want to be taught, you don't believe there is a God, then what chance is there for you to really hear the divine message that the Lord has for you and for your heart? He is self-sufficient, he is self-satisfied, and often is self-righteous. Have you ever talked to somebody that says that they're very, very righteous? And you ask him, say, well, where do you, where do you go to church? Well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't go to church anywhere. Well, you've studied the Bible a lot, yes. What's your favorite verse? Well, I, I like them all. I just kind of like them all. You know, and you, you talk to them for a few minutes, and it's very, very obvious. They don't know anything. 
They're self-righteous, but they have nothing to uh, present to them uh, that would simulate righteousness. Nothing at all. The evil one uses many means as he snatches away that which has been sown, which had been laid on the uh, top of the heart, the top of the soil. Luke adds that some seed was trampled under the feet of those who walk the hard path. Satan uses false teachers. There are a whole lot of false teachers in our world. I don't want to get real, real personal, but there's some false teachers here in, in Sun City Center. I'll just say that. Uh, you know, there are some places very close by uh, where the word is not being presented truthfully. Uh, it is uh, being lied about. And that is becoming more and more uh, prevalent in our day, in our time, all around us. Satan uses that. He tries to contradict God's truth. And if we're not well grounded, if we're not based in the word of God, then we don't know. We don't know. We just accept whatever they're saying. We just sit there and say, well, yeah, okay. Because we don't know. You know, if we had studied the word, if we knew the word, we would immediately, you know, want to say, whoop, I don't believe that's what it said. Or whoop, I don't think that's what it means. You know, sometimes uh, we need to do that. Sometimes people that are out of a worldly background, somebody presents the gospel to them and, and they uh, are kind of thinking about it a little bit. But their friends come to them and say, you know, you don't want to get in with those religious kooks. You don't want to get in with those crazy nuts. You don't want to get into those Bible thumpers. You don't want anything to do with any of that. That would be terrible. You wouldn't fit into our group anymore. And so the person says, well, okay. And so they kind of move in the other direction. Well, Satan constantly uses pride to blind people to their sinful condition and their need for salvation. He takes them, he makes them believe that they are not really so bad. And in fact, if they want to, they can kind of heal themselves. That would be like a person being very, very, very sick and uh, unwilling to go to the doctor. You know, if, if there's something wrong, you, you need to get it fixed. There's something wrong with your car. You don't think anything about taking it to the shop and letting some people fix it. If there's something wrong with your air conditioner, you call the air conditioning man. If there's something wrong with your soul, which is a, a million times more important than your car or your air conditioner, and, and there's something desperately wrong and you really don't know what to do, why don't you go to somebody that, that that's their area? That's what they deal with. That's what they do. Why not go to somebody like that and sit down with them and try and understand and try and have it explained to you so you could perceive what it's about and then you have the opportunity to accept it or reject it. But at least you would know the truth about what it is. I know a lot of people like that. And you do too. People that have hardened their heart against the Lord and are supported by their ungodly friends. And so they never darken the door of a place of worship. 
Well, let's look at the next verse, uh, verse 20. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now, you remember when Jesus presented this earlier, he said, you know, there was a lot of rock and there was just a little bit of soil. And so when the seed would fall, it, it couldn't do much. It would germinate right on the top, but really, as soon as the sun came up, it would die. It would wither away. The second patch of soil here uh, covers the unseen rocky places. There is no depth whatsoever. There might be a half an inch, there might be an inch, there might be two inches, there might be three inches, but really there is no receptive soil of any amount so that something could grow. There's no chance of it growing. This soil represents the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. He's, oh, goody, goody. Thank you for telling me that. Thank you for sharing with me the gospel. He can't embrace it soon enough. As soon as he gets around it, he wants it uh, and as much as he can get of it. In contrast to the person with a hardened, unresponsive heart, this man is just the opposite. He offers no resistance at all, but rather manifests emotional excitement in his response to the message. You know, some people get very, very emotional about sun coming up. Uh, you know, some people get very, very emotional about some uh, little thing that's not important at all. Some people just get very, very worked up about nothing. Well, uh, this man uh, is very excited to see the gospel, to hear the gospel, Sometimes there is a shallow acceptance of the gospel and it is encouraged by a shallow evangelism. One time um, I worked with some people in another state and uh, our job was to go down the beach, to walk down the beach, Daytona Beach or some other beach, and uh, we were in a line. We were supposed to go in a line, and we were supposed to present the gospel to every person that was on the beach, and uh, so, that, you know, that's what we were supposed to do, so that's what we did, and there were about 30 of us, and we, we walked straight down the beach, and I shared the gospel, I guess, with about 15 people. And everybody, you know, the ones that were further away from the water, of course, there weren't very many people where they were. And the ones that were sort of at the very edge of the water, there weren't many there. But, you know, about 15 feet back, there were a lot of people. And so we, we just would walk through and do that. And then we were supposed to have a reporting time. And so we would report and we would tell how many people made a profession of faith. And I was uh, just absolutely amazed because uh, some of the people said, well, you know, I led 25 to the Lord. 
And, you know, the next person would say, well, I, you know, I led 30. And the next person would say, well, I, you know, I led 10. And I had walked down the beach, and I, I don't mean this to sound wrong, but, you know, I had done a lot of witnessing in my life, and I knew something about that. And I felt like that maybe I had a chance with one, you know. And, uh, and so I got these 25 and 30 people together, and I, I said, uh, now, now tell, me what, tell me what you said, what they said, what you said, what they said. Kind of tell me that. And they said, well, you know, we walked up and we asked them if they were Christians. If they said no, we real quickly shared the gospel. And, you know, it didn't really matter how they answered. Uh, we just kind of plowed right ahead. And they would listen, and, and some of them would say, okay, okay. And then we'd go on to the next person. And I went back and reported that to the folks that had sent us down there. And I, I was very honest about it. I said, you know, I, I, really don't, I really don't like that. I don't think that's the way to do it. Well, that is just the opposite of what they wanted to hear. And uh, whenever I, I read this text, I think about that situation in my life. You know, there are some people that you... Tell them the sun's going to fall in 15 minutes. They'll get all excited, you know, and say, oh, gee, well, maybe we can get some binoculars or something. You know, it's just, it's just they're, you know, they're excited about anything. They're ready for anything. But 10 minutes later, they'll be thinking about something totally different. Well, there's a shallow evangelism in our world. And folks, we've got to do a better job than that. We've got to get to know people. We've got to learn their name. We've got to learn something about them. We've got to walk with them a little bit. Uh, we've got to help them to really understand what the gospel means and the implications that it has. That's very, very important. Uh, you know, you have to talk to people about repenting of sin. That's, that can't be left out. You have to say to them, you know, you've got to ask the Lord to forgive you of the sin of your life. There's obviously the sin of never trusting in Christ. That's a sin. There's obviously other sins in your life. I don't know what they are, but you do. Things that you've done against mankind or against the Lord or uh, against yourself, some things that, that we have done and and it's obviously wrong, and you need to be forgiven of that. And you've got to ask God to forgive you of that. You've got to die unto self. You know, when we baptize people, uh, we always say, you know, that they're dying unto sin and self and being raised to walk in newness of life. Well, that's, that's really what we believe. You die unto sin and self. That's very important. You know, a lot of people that make professions of faith don't understand that. You've got to die unto self. Well, 
You've got to turn from the old life. You know, if you don't turn from the old life, then you're not uh, saved. I don't think you can convince somebody in a minute and a half on the beach to do that. I really don't. You know, you've, you've got to kind of walk with somebody for a while. Because his emotional response to the gospel is so immediate, so positive, this convert uh, kind of stands out among others. He perhaps or she perhaps is very vocal about their decision, about what they've done, about their experience. They may even be zealous in uh, church attendance. They might even try and start reading through the Bible. But because the soil of their heart is shallow, It has no firm root in himself. It's temporary. The gospel promotes an immediate positive reaction, but it's temporary. And all the change is on the surface rather than in the depths of the individual's heart. There is no response, no remorse over sin, no recognition of lostness, no contrition, No brokenness. There is no humility, which is the first mark of true conversion. A humility that needs to be there. You know, I've said this a lot of times, and sometimes when I say this, I don't think people really get it, what I'm saying. You have to understand that you're lost before you can be saved. You know, it's not just another step. It's, It's a new deal. It's a whole different thing. It, it's not just like you're on a ladder, you're, you're on step 12, and, and you, to be converted, you need to step to step 13. No, no. You need to get rid of the ladder. You need to go into the house. You need to sit down with somebody and talk about the Lord, about the Bible, about the Holy Spirit, about the things that mean a great, great deal uh, to our faith. When this person hears the gospel, it brings a religious experience but it does not bring salvation, evidenced by the fact that when affliction comes, when persecution comes, when any of that comes because of the word of God, immediately they fall away. When anything doesn't go like they think it ought to go, they fall away. You know, in my life, uh, I don't know how many people have come up and made a decision in church and uh, they might come back the next Sunday and be baptized. About half the time, they don't do that. And then when some of them are baptized, then that's absolutely the last time you ever see them because they feel like they have fulfilled all that needed to be done uh, for them to be in good standing with God forever. A lot of people think that. And you know what we hope, we always hope, What I try to do is talk to people about the church. You know, this is God's family. These are God's people. We study God's word. We hope that you can get into a Sunday school class. We hope that you can begin to study. Uh, Maybe we can help you learn how to pray. You know, these are kind of basic things that we need to do, uh, you know, that are very, very important. When confronted with a high cost of salvation, This person will not pay the price. He was built, he has built his religious house on the sand, 
on an emotional experience. And when the storms of affliction and persecution comes, the house falls down. And he turns and walks away. He has the foliage of a religious experience, but he doesn't have the root. You've got to have the root in order for it to take, in order for it to be real. Therefore, you can't produce spiritual fruit if you don't have a root. You've got to have that. The falling away comes immediately after affliction, after persecution, because of the word. You, you do anything with the word uh, in a secular group and you are immediately chastised. You're immediately put down. It might be a number of years before this happens to somebody. They, there's no root to their spiritual lives. And so when it does happen, maybe five years later, they say, well, gee, you're probably right. And they turn and walk away. Well, uh, when the cost of discipleship comes too high, the person falls away. They're lost to the visible church, just as he was always lost to the spiritual church. Now, if a person's profession of Christ does not involve a deep conviction of sin, a genuine sense of lostness, a strong desire for the Lord to cleanse and purify their life, a hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for the things of God, for the word of God to be in our hearts, along with a genuine willingness to suffer for his sake. I remember seeing those guys on TV with the guys in orange behind them with a knife, and right before their throats are slit, they say, praise be to Jesus. Now those people had it. They believed, they had it, they stood for what they believed, and they carried it even unto the grave. And you know what? When those dear brothers come up to the golden gate, the Lord's going to look at them and say, well done. Well done. Well, does anybody have to go home in the next eight minutes? Okay. Let's look at the next verse. Um, verse 22. And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, he is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. This uh, third patch of soil has a lot of thorns in it. You remember in the earlier presentation of Jesus, he talked about the thorns. And the man who hears the world, hears the word, but is too worldly to take it, to, to let it grow within him. This person hears the word of the gospel. He may make a token profession of faith, but his love for the things of the world is real. He's a worldly person. He loves the world. And that's it. You know, when it all comes down to it, it's the world. You know, wh who are you trying to please? The world. What are you trying to be a part of? The world. Where are you trying to be a success? In the world. It's all in the world. 
His first love is for the things of the world. His worry is about the preoccupation of those things that bind him to the importance of the gospel or anything else spiritual and eternal. He loves riches. That's what he wants. And he lives as if they are the answer to all of his needs and all of his desires. The world. He is not even aware that he has lost what knowledge of the word he once had or of the spiritual life that he had just begun to have. All of that was totally unfruitful because he has no real deep interest in those things. There are few barriers to the gospel greater than the riches of the world. You know, you, you get real excited sometimes when you make a lot of money doing something. And your focus kind of leaves this and leaves that and leaves the other thing. And your focus begins to narrow down on the riches of the world. And you perhaps, you know, make a million dollars or something, and then you think, well, you know, that wasn't so hard. I can make $2 million. And then you make $2 million. Then you think, well, gee, I've, I've kind of got this thing rolling here. And then, you, you know, you get $3 million or $5 million or $10 million. And then you've lost touch with everything. You know, with some people, that can happen with $100 and $200, $300. You know, it doesn't have to be a million. There are a few barriers to the gospel that are greater than this, the riches of the world. I, I don't know if this is true or not. Some of you farmers here uh, maybe know about this. I don't. I read it in a book, so I'm going to read it to you. Some years ago, the U.S. Department of Agriculture developed a soil treatment that contains 6% ethyl alcohol. When the solution is applied to a field in the proper amount, it reportedly causes all the weeds to sprout and grow vigorously. Once they're grown, the weeds can then be mechanically removed before they have a chance to develop the seeds. The field becomes virtually free of weeds for up to five years. I have never heard that before. Uh, I don't know whether that's true or not. But that is a good picture of true conversion. Christ's cleansing is complete and thorough. The preaching of the law of God uh, is so clear, is is so definite, is so direct, the grace of God, the goodness of God, the love of God. It works against sin. And the salvation, and in salvation, he removes all the weeds of sin in order to cleanse the field of the heart and prepare it for the pure seed of his word. You got to get rid of that stuff before the word of God really takes hold. And you have deep spiritual roots in your life. The Lord's desire is to keep his people free from all sin at all times. A professing believer who is unconcerned about sin in his life and does not hate evil and love righteousness 
gives strong evidence that the soil of his heart is weedy. A lot of weeds in there. He will eventually discover that he loves the world and his relationship to Christ and that which is spiritual, those two things can't coexist. And so guess what happens? The things of the Lord quietly, gently fall away. A person who comes to church but never becomes committed to serving, who is continually preoccupied with the things of the world, fashion, sports, career, Everything but the Lord's work is a person with a weed-infested heart. The weeds just keep growing. The person who refuses to let go of his worldliness is a person in whom the seed of God's saving gospel has not found root and is in danger of being choked out totally. So, folks, there's three kinds of soil that just don't cut it. You know, tonight, if you see yourself in any of those different things, then maybe, you know, we ought to spend some time praying and, and thinking, studying God's Word and, and, and working on kind of building ourselves up. You know, those weeds, they just, they kind of grow in, they grow toward us. We have to push them back, cut them back. We have to trim them. We have to get rid of them. We want to be pure and whole and godly. Well, tonight uh, in this service, if there's someone here that would like to, to be the fertile soil where the gospel falls and you hear it and you believe it and you want to follow it, maybe there's someone here tonight that has never made a public profession of their faith in Christ. If you'd like to do that tonight, we want to walk with you. And be a friend. We want you to come and say yes to the risen Savior. Tonight, if you'd like to come and join our church, the doors of the church are open. And we'd love to have you come and serve with us. Let's stand together as we sing. I'll be waiting here at the front.